And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Construction entrepreneurship, it's everywhere. It's all around you. You live in a home or an apartment or you want to buy one. All are affected in some way, shape or form by entrepreneurs that have taken upon themselves to either build, buy or do something around real estate, whether that be commercial or housing. We're going to get into that. Now, before we get too far, a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Lending Standard, the only secure online origination and underwriting platform solution for HUD, Fannie, Freddie, and, and banks that do multifamily lending. Visit LendingStandard.com to learn more, or you can click the link in the show notes. Now, as usual, I've brought in subject matter experts, so I'm going to dive right into that. With me today, I've got Chris Doyle. Chris is the CEO and founder of Build. Now, that's spelled B-I-L-L-D.com. They do a whole lot of stuff out of Austin, Texas. I'm sure we'll hear all about it momentarily. Chris, welcome to Startup Hustle. Matt, hey, great to be here. Excited to, to chat today. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I, I always say no one tells the story better than the CEO and the founder. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself and Build, and don't forget to tell us the problem that Build solves for construction entrepreneurs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so my, so my background has almost always been in construction. I started when I was uh, 16, really 15, but for legal reasons, you know, say 16, uh, <laughs> eligible, eligible worker. Uh, fr framing houses, you know, in high school and and in uh, over the summer in college, and I always say, you know, really great summer job because you 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 get strong. You normally have your shirt off, so you get a nice tan, and it pays cash every week. Um, so was nothing more than that for me at the time. I, I definitely enjoyed it and the camaraderie of the the crews and just the kind of labor piece of it. You know, went to college, graduated without really a lot of direction in what I wanted to do, landed back into construction, you know, did uh, residential building for about five years, made the, the magical leap from residential to commercial, which is, um, can be a challenge sometimes. Uh, so worked in commercial for about five years. And then the next 10 years, really a, a combination of, of finance, I, you know, went to business school, got a lot more um, focus on like the capital markets and the finance side of things, renewable energy, got the, you know, the spark on that front. Um, I started a, a small construction technology business, uh, that still operates called, called site capture. And then, uh, two years ago, uh, started, started build. And really what we're trying to solve here is, and I'll, I'll kind of map out how this flows in commercial construction, but, you know, if you're an electrician and you've been awarded a $200,000 project, uh, you, you're going to buy about $80,000 worth of material. And, um, you know, you buy that, you do your labor material and you submit a pay application to 
the general contractor on a project. Um, and, you know, they go through back and forth on, you know, draws and bank financing and things like that. That, that takes a long time. It takes about 60 days. But if you, if you, um, you have to purchase that material up front, so that's 30 days even advance. So there's a 90-day payment gap on when you need to buy your $80,000 worth of material for one project and, and between when you actually get paid for it. So it's a very well-known dysfunction of supply chain finance and construction. And no one really does anything about it. Um, you know, the subcontractors of the world, these are, you know, your concrete, your drywall, your flooring companies have really been the ones financing these large commercial con construction projects for, for decades. And um, a lot of folks are, are making this more efficient from top down, meaning they're working with the banks and the property owners and the general contractors to make that very quick. But what we've done is take a bottom-up approach, is we work directly with the subcontractors and we provide a product that allows them to purchase for their materials at $80,000 worth of electrical supply and um, they have 120 days uh, to repay us. So they essentially buy that from whatever supplier they would otherwise be using. Uh, and then when they're paid on the project, they repay us to give them those terms. And there's, a, you know, there's an interest piece of that to help carry. Uh, but that interest piece is negligible compared to the overall burden and opportunity cost that they have in front of them or opportunity they have in front of them. Yeah, and that's something that if you've been watching Startup Hustle TV, and if you haven't, go check it out on YouTube. We started our own TV show. And two of our cast members are the Perkins brothers, and they're home builders out in Western North Carolina. And, you know, home builder, you, the problem you solve is real because in uh, one of our episodes, they were having some issues because the bank had messed up the funding. And mm -hmm. there's this delicate balance that goes with all of it. And, you know, and the, it, like much like Chris mentioned, if you're a, a construction entrepreneur and look, look, builders, subcontractors, co contractors, all, everyone, th that's that's uh, one of the most common forms of entrepreneurship in general. And Absolutely. the thing is, is, is the way the whole system's set up is if you don't have the money to put that, to buy all this stuff up front, then you, you might lose the bid. You might not be able to perform the bid and you're definitely putting your, getting yourself outside of the boundaries for the bigger jobs you might want. Is that, that's correct. That last part, right? Yeah. And, and what happens is the larger contractors that have their war chest of cash are the ones that can afford to actually grow. You know, and even grow. I mean, it just stay status quo is difficult. You need that war chest. Growing is even, even more difficult. But if you take that, you know, smaller, you know, call it uh, two to three year in business, you know, one to three million in annual revenue, running you know five or six projects a, a year. These are, you know, these are small companies, and they are, you know, I hate to say paycheck to paycheck, but the payout to payout. Right. And they don't have, you know, two million dollars in, in the bank to just draw on. And the thing is, we're talking about entrepreneurs here. These are 100 percent the truest entrepreneurs are out there. They're not going out and raising private equity. Right. Um, so they don't have that 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 access and they shouldn't. Um, but what we're looking to solve is really just make that that um, supply chain be a lot more efficient and really give the, you know, I don't want to sound too. Uh, Rah rah, but that you know that small guy, the opportunity to really grow their business and take on that larger project, because that's what it's all yeah, about. You know, you know? Yeah, well, Eric and Jamie, I mean, they're like a family operation. You know, they're a multi generation 
company. They inherited the company from their dad and, you know, yeah. all that. And and they've got like a, a multi-year waiting list. And that was really case in point about some of the problem because it, it, it was, it was a banker. And after hours and hours and hours on the phone, Eric got it resolved and he was concerned that he was going to have to dip into something else, you know, yeah. and and that becomes a risky proposition for some uh, construction entrepreneurs because you're basically putting your neck out for someone else's house yeah. in that regard. Yeah. And, you know, there can be, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. Now, one of the things that's uh, been affecting construction entrepreneurs this year is ever since the pandemic hit, the cost of materials has skyrocketed. Is that true? Crazy. Crazy. And it was already starting a little bit, but it, it really is nuts to see what's happening. Um, you know, wh whether it's wood, steel, drywall, you know, plywood, it, it's all there. And, you know, the problem is that there's a de decent time period between when you need to bid a project and, and you're awarded and even from awarded to needing to do it. These spikes are insane, right? Uh, you know, 50% over two months, I think even probably greater than that in some specific products and it puts um, you really have no choice as a as a business owner but to qualify your contracts that say like hey look it's, it's kind of a place in time uh, of when you need the material for, for that pricing M much like large steel or oil or gasoline kind of spots the market at time of procurement or through some some time frame, you know, construction is going to have to do something like that, at least in the short term, because you just, you, it, it doesn't work, right? If you're planning on spending $80,000 and you have, call it 15% margin budgeted, and all of a sudden if that goes to 130K, it's like you're, you basically, it's costing you money to do the deal. You might as well pass on it. Um, but it's also just not healthy for the industry to see such, you know, price increases and the suppliers don't like it, right? It's like they're the bad guys, you know, all of a sudden they don't like the fact this isn't their margin going up. Uh, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if their margins, when I say the suppliers, the regional supply houses that contractors buy from directly, not the, the bigger kind of manufacturer side, but they don't like this kind of thing because it's a, it's a negative effect on their customer. So they try to soften that by what? Reducing margin. So it ends up just being a bad situation for everybody. What's the cause of that? Is it just supply chain or is it lack of materials or both? Well, it sounds like full supply chain. Yeah, I think supply chain. And I don't think lack of material from like a disaster scenario, like what you see when big hurricanes come in and like and all of a sudden you can't buy plywood, right? Because they're using all the supplies been shipped to Florida or, or you know, wherever you, you see the disaster. Uh, but just um, and again, I'm not the expert on this side, but it sounds like complete supply chain br breakdown by all the elements that are affect, you know, being affected due to the you know, pandemic. So you mentioned that construction entrepreneurs are having to buy their materials in, even more in advance than normal. You said that, right? Is that? Well, yeah. I mean, if you if you're like you're having to reserve them like 90 days down. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're seeing this increase. You know, at many levels, it, it, it does make sense to go out and procure, call it six months worth of material. Then there's like this huge graph, right? And and so there's a quantity discount, but that's not even the issue. What you're really probably doing is getting a safe um, procurement, right? So you know that it's going to cost this. And even if you have to, you know, front the cost, not just the cost, but you have to carry that, right? That inventory and the cost of that inventory, it, it may make sense to do it. But look, if you don't have access to those, 
you're, you're kind of in a tough, you're not kind of, you are in a very tough spot. Well, let's clarify that a little more for those that might be wanting to get into construction entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. You're talking about carrying inventory, meaning, uh, you know, you, in order to get a price now and know what that's going to be for you later, you buy six months worth of stuff, but you only need one month of it right now. So you end yeah. up paying interest or using the capital or whatever. Now that's actually something that build helps with, right? Yeah, that, that's so that's what we do, right? You buy that material through us. Um, you know, what we're trying to solve, though, for is more that dysfunctional um, payment cycle, right? Not so much buy as much as you can cheaply so we can use it over six months because our, our um, the way we're able to enable so much, call it purchasing power with our customer, is that we're looking at the project that they're on. So that electrician, when they get the you know, project for, let's say it's even a small project with a Starbucks, right? We know that the payment stream of the Starbucks, you know, coming, you know, being erected is, is almost guaranteed to the sub, right? So even though a subcontractor could be in business, maybe less than two years, really small revenue, maybe the business owner had had to max out and leverage, you know, some auto stuff or equipment on their personal credit. So their credit's not looking great or their personal credit rather we're able to enable, you know, 4X purchase power of any other product out there, credit card, you know, bank lines, really any of that stuff. Because what we're doing is we're looking at the project. We're, we're saying, what projects are you on? You know, uh, it's a very easy process. Like it's literally like you type in your project and, and you, you put in your, uh, what kind of material you're looking for, what supplier you're working with. But um, that that's how we are able to enable it is the validity of that project. Because our, real thesis is like projects pay real projects pay they may be so late when it comes to, they do pay <laughs> when, when it comes to the relationships that you have like according to the build website and once again that's b-i-l-l-d.com if you can't remember that people there's a link in the show notes you got a great site it really lays out everything it says you work with a lot of different suppliers i mean is was that a was it a challenge to create all those relationships or are the suppliers like really, really waiting for you with open arms? Um, I think it's more on the waiting and open arms. We, we solve a lot of pain points for them on a day-to-day -day basis. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way um, as you're, you know, working <laughs> through the, you know, the process of growing a business, but no, I think absolutely. Cause look there, these are customers of theirs that um, they want to sell more to, but maybe their credit side of the business isn't allowing it or um, maybe they're not allowing at all because they've only been in business two years and their credit department is you know, forcing them into what they call like a cash customer, which means they have to come up front. They don't even get 30 day terms. Um, so they get paid up front, right? Um, they, it's generally slightly higher margin for them because these are smaller customers that aren't buying a year's worth of inventory where they are forced to do like the very lowest price amongst every supplier in town. You know, these are smaller folks that, you know, maybe is like 5% more, you know, uh, higher price. Um, so it, it solves a ton of problems for them. And there's a customer loyalty piece of this too. So if you're a supplier and you're working with a contractor for the last few years and you're selling them, you know, some like standard stuff, I'll just use plywood since we've been using that today. It's like, you know, the price of plywood, right? Well, then you hit your, say you hit your credit limit with that supplier and you go, well, I don't want to, but I got to go. I gotta go buy from brand X. So they go over to the other supplier and say, Hey, I need to buy whatever $10,000 of plywood. They go, well, here's the price. They go, Whoa, wait a second. This is 10% less than what I was paying. So there's a price discovery piece. 
for suppliers too, right? That goes, oh, now all of a sudden, you know, my customer I've been working on for two years and, and invested a ton in logistics, relationships, product support, all these things. Um, and now I've got to lower my price because they've, you know, had to go out to bid, so to speak. And look, if in business, if every relationship you had went out to bid every other month, you know, this would be a zero sum game here. You know, you wouldn't be, no one would be making any money. Yeah. And you know, the, this whole game and it, you know, it's no secret that the multifamily loan process can be difficult to manage. And that's why multifamilydebt.com's intuitive online platform can help take the pain and pro out of the process by matching borrowers with lenders, vying for their business, streamlining the application process and providing guidance from industry experts to help borrowers find the best option. Go to multifamilydebt.com. That is a product that Lending Standard has. And, you know, they're a, they're a sponsor of this show and also a sponsor of Startup Hustle TV. And I, you know, after getting to know their founder, I was just amazed at like how much inefficiency exists in construction entrepreneurship financing in general you know they help people get loans for that want to you know invest in an apartment complex and that's what they specialize yep. in and after talking to their founder he's, he's i said well what what's what's the solution you know what solution do you offer he said there's fifty thousand dollars worth of labor that goes into the paperwork to do a loan yeah. You know, and they've solved that. They've solved that for single family homes or commercial buildings, but not always in the middle. And, you know, there's it's it's amazing how many uh, you know, how, what a what a huge total addressable market that is. Now, you're in Austin, Texas. That correct? Yeah, we're based in Austin, but that's just, you know, HQ. We have an office in Arizona as well. Um, and but we're a national approach. So we do um, you know, we work customers and uh, all 50 states uh, and really our constant we don't have much of a concentration in Austin or Texas our concentration is like per the construction spend uh, you know in the U.S. so Texas just happens to have a decent amount of construction right now so we have some concentration yeah. for that purpose but we're not you know uh, we're, we're not necessarily boots on the ground with with the customers um, so there's no like you know specific targeting of any state for the, for the most part. So when it comes to build does, like, do you deal with construction firms of all size? Because I mean, overall, a lot of these firms do have a hard time lending, getting lending from banks and different stuff just because of all the crap you have to wade through in the underwriting process. Yeah, we, we take a very uh, innovative approach to our underwriting and just like how you apply. We, uh, we make it, you know, as, as all you know, uh, businesses are, are doing and striving for is making the process super, super simple for their customer. And, and we've done that. Uh, and on the back end, you know, we are able to verify a lot of the things that we, you know, we need to do from an underwriting perspective without burdening the customer and, and use your classic, like, Hey, I, my business needs a loan or even like in a personal loan scenario, it's like, show me your financial statements, right? Well, that's kind of a pain. Like I got to go in, I got to export, I got to do this. Um, show me tax returns, do this, do that, right? It's like, we don't need that. Uh, we don't need that because if you're a contractor, you're, um, you're likely bidding on projects. So we're able to see and kind of simulate what you're bidding on. And, and we can put all that into our um, decisioning, uh, we call it machine and, and, and give, what we're trying to do is size up what their purchasing power is. We can do all that really on the back end. 
And um, again, our emphasis is on the project. So if you're a contractor and you're working on a you know large apartment complex or you're working on, I mentioned the Starbucks or a new parking garage or a stadium, right? Those are the things we're looking at. Now, if you're, I'll give you an example of like a not not our perfect fit is if you're working on a, you know, we don't do residential, we do commercial, but if if it's some small development by, you know, financed by a single person, you know, that is also the builder and the supplier, you know, these things kind of exist. It's like, well, wait a second, you know, that's not really, what we're up to um but you know if you're a contractor and you're 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 growing doesn't really matter how big you are our normal like minimum is about 500k in revenue which is like a couple projects a year which can you know that's about right you know you start your business you get one crew right no matter what trade you're on um and that's you know you're going to be able to do around 500k and um so we we have some smaller customers in that way but we also have the 30 40 million annual revenue uh, customers. And, you know, that really speaks to the fact that the dysfunctional, you know, payment structure and construction doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate against big contractors or small, you know, it's just a slow process. And it's not like the GC gets the funding and goes, I'm going to pay the ones, the biggest ones first. And I'll just, because I want to be a bully, uh, you know, not pay these other folks no they want to pay the subs because they want their subs to be financially healthy and be able to you know fund and grow their businesses yeah and you know that the whole relationship element of so much construction stuff because i you know i did honestly i kind of spent a few years wondering like where does the general contractor provide value it's the relationships it's knowing people that do good work that are going to deliver on time and show up and then, you know, with that, it's also their own relate, their own reputation. And let's talk about that for a second, because, you know, you can take any type of business and you get get a few bad actors. And, you know, there's a few there's a very minute percentage of contractors that sometimes taint the 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 pool for the rest of them. So how do you got so meaning like, well, they'll take a deposit and then they don't do the work. How do you, how do you vet and prevent that and try, cause obviously you need them to pay you too. So how do you, how do you go about that whole process on a national basis when you're not in every location? Yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to change your question though. Um, do it please. And, and so we are, I always say we're not a relationship company. And the reason for that is our touch points with our customer is just not enough but we understand so fully how critical relationships are in construction. And what we do is we fuel the enablement of our customer, the sub, creating a stronger relationship with their GC, right? And that's who they get their business from. And the way we do that is just through tailored delivery of our product to their specific needs. So for example, they're getting calls last minute sometimes. I got to be on this project. Oh, crap. I got to rearrange my crew. I need to be there in three days. I need my material tomorrow. We do turnaround time. You know, it's less than a day turnaround time on almost all of our fundings, meaning you request material that you need from your supplier. So you do like drag and drop your quote. So it's like $30,000 with our, our plywood here. That's getting paid out that day. We'll wire out the, to the supplier or um, it, whenever they request it. It's almost always same day. And, and more than that, what we do is we break down to our entire team. Um, many have construction experience, but we really break down what all this looks like 
and what is success for our sub and what is success for our general contractor. A lot of times that's super misunderstood and especially in construction. And it really is all around the general contractor and sub together completing a project on time, on budget and safely, right? All the workers, you know, coming out safe. Uh, and that's it, right? If you solve that problem for a GC and you're reliable in that way, so this is like that brand component, that is how you create your brand as a sub. You don't need an Apple or a Rolex or whatever big brand name is out there. You're working with the same GCs for, for a decade, right? You're in Austin, Texas. There's like 15 drywall companies, right? And 40 GCs, like the same, same people, right? So your ability to deliver every time, time and time again, to achieve that goal that's your brand and that's your relationship, right? Now, if you want to take someone out to lunch, take them to dinner, whatever, that kind of stuff, that's fine. That is not the way you create a relationship in construction. And that's super misunderstood in, in people that jump in the market and they think, oh, I'll just go take this guy out on a Cabo trip or something and we'll win their business. And, and all of a sudden I've got an extra $2 million. No, invest in your crew, how to be more safe, how to be more efficient, how to be more flexible on the job site, right? More disciplined, reliable, invest in that side. That's how you're really solving problems for your customer. And when, when it's time to get that next project, that's what they're thinking about, right? They're saying, who's going to help me deliver my goal here and delivering this project. Yeah. And as a company as an, and a brand, you're really only one shitty performance away from ruining that reputation. So I, you know, I mean, it, and you know, when it like the Perkins brothers, like they're just so vehement about good quality and, you know, it's just the way they've always been doing it. And there's so many people, so many construction entrepreneurs out there that, you know, do it right. And here's the thing, doing it right might cost a little bit more, but do it right anyway. Cause I don't know, it's, it's amazing how shoddy some things are and some things are built really well. And you know, overall, that that really does matter. Uh, you know, in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, I wrote about the path to revenue and how if you're going to start a business, it's really important to understand that path to revenue. One of the things that I really like about construction entrepreneurship is you can you you're if you're a service provider in a business, you can have your own business. You can be an independent yeah. contractor, plumber, tile layer, finisher, like what deck builder. Yeah. Fence, fence installer, name it, and because you have you have a very short turnaround on when you can actually generate revenue, as opposed to some of us that decide to build software and technology products who may have a painfully long process to actually collect a dollar if some of us even make it that far. And yeah. I mean that. Like I see so many software companies die on the vine because they were wrong in their timeline estimates. And gosh, I'll tell you what, if builders were as bad as people are about estimating how long it takes to build software, we probably wouldn't have any houses. Because uh, that you know, that that's a, a big thing. Now, when it comes to your business, and obviously build there, there is there a technology component to that? Or is it more people doing the doing the work and 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 stuff like that or is there like a software as a service type platform that people sign up and and use and manage yeah no there's certainly a technology component but ultimately what we're doing is we're we're it's enabling our service right and so it's not that complicated of a process for us so we've kept it fairly light in that regard so we have a, a nice platform where folks can come on 
But our, what we're trying to do here is not drive everyone to our platform and like manage their projects to the platform. Our platform is meant to get in, get your projects loaded up, which in many ways we have some automation for that. And let us, basically let us know when you want us to send the money, right? Uh, because everything else we've enabled, we've used technology to enable and set those things up. So we know what the supplier is, right? We know how to send them the funds. It's all that work has been been done for the customer. But we, we do have one input. We need to know when you want us to send the funds, right? Um, and then that's what triggers, you know, a, a, a bunch of other events, including like when the when the money would be due from our customer and, you know, what we have like a weekly payment, um, very small payment. Um, that's that's made to just kind of keep track of the accounts. Um, so I think to your question, it's we've kept it pretty simple, you know, which is which is uh, great for our customer. You know, as we go through the capital raising process, though, uh, a lot of you know private, you know, a lot of private equity and venture venture um, investors, they're so used to looking at sexy SaaS bells and whistles that you know our product, we're like, no, it's intentionally like this. Um, so we could have built those things, but you know, in retrospect, we do need to kind of educate those, you know, in, investors on the this is why we do it this way, and simple is better in our regard. We don't need those bells and bells and whistles, um, and we use a lot more technology, I would say, on the back end, so we can better underwrite and set the right purchasing powers for our customer. How do you classify your company and your startup? Like, because is this fintech or is it kind of like? And in a, a parallel to that, yeah. So, <laughs> it, you know, uh, when I'm talking, I have a feeling you're. I have a feeling you're laughing because you because I, when I heard you talking about private equity and stuff like that, like full scale, the company <laughs> I own, I, I employ 200 developers, but we're not technically a technology company. We're a service provider. Yeah, and that just and trying to explain that to potential investors. So our company grew really quick. We've got, you know, probably do 10 million in revenue in our third year. And that's attracted a lot of attention. And then I try to explain that they're like, wait, you're not a technology company, but you employ 180 developers. You're like, yeah. And the, the, the VC looks at you like a dog that just saw a card trick or something, you know? So it's like, um, have you had the same, have you had the same issue, sir? <laughs> no, that's it. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're talking to the capital markets. It's like, we're a FinTech company. And I mean, I guess that's right. You know, financial services and, and technology, yeah. but we're, we're a, our DNA is we're a construction company, right? That's our customer. Okay. We're not, we're not hopping into technology, oh, excuse me, uh, transportation, medical, right? We're not going to these other verticals. We're, we're putting our stake in the ground. We're, we're a construction company. Um, but, you know, there is the function of what we do. And, you know, as any, anyone else, we are trying to position the, the company for growth and raising capital is a big part of that. So in, in those ways, we are positioning a little bit more as a, as a fintech. Um, you know, I, I've gotten pretty good at uh, comparing us to SaaS model because, you know, we do bring on a customer and they do a first purchase. And then, um, you know, they have that recurring purchase. Right. And that's that's really no different than a traditional SaaS uh, model, except that it's not guaranteed. Right. So we earn that by just having excellent delivery uh, of our service to our customer. And um, but, I, you know, we're a construction company, really. We don't you know, we're crunch, not, we're crunch, not on the project. Crunch, you know? crunch base, Crunchbase is telling me you've raised 60 million dollars in just a few years. So 
someone's buying into that. Uh, uh, is that <laughs> are those funds that you're raising? Are those uh, is that is that more is that to grow the business or is that more so to kind of create some in-house funding to put that money back out like you do with in between the suppliers and the the contractors? Yeah, yeah. Most of that is to enable the quote unquote lending side of the business. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, it does have this like big number that looks, you know, sexy, but a lot of that is because we are inventory, right? So we talked earlier about the price of steel or, or, you know, whatever product it is and having to like go get a bunch of it and store it. Our inventory is capital, right? And then we provide that capital as, you know, as, as a good. Uh, goods to our customers. And then we, you know, we buy it at a certain price. That's an interest we pay on it and we sell it at another price. Really no way, no different than like what a, a, a drywall supplier does. They go buy drywall and they go sell it at a, they buy it at a dollar. They sell it, you know, for a dollar and 15 cents. Um, and so that, that's really what we do. It's just our, our supply, our product is capital. So we do have to raise things like 60 million, you know, big numbers, Regardless of what the size of that number is, I mean, any scale you're at in all of construction entrepreneurship, this is a challenge. You know, whether you're a multi-billion dollar company, you might have to finance a, a skyscraper or, wow. you know, I, I mean, all the way down to like a single family home. I mean, this is these are real things and, and money costs money. It's not yeah. just free for everyone. Yep. And, you know, that's yep. what I think some people don't understand. And, you know, any whether it's a software company or a service and contracting business and in the beginning, all startups struggle for resources. So anything that you can lean on or leverage to help make things easier. And I would imagine the suppliers do love you because you don't need net 30. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to work in manufacturing a long time ago. It was the musical instrument business. It wasn't construction. But man, anytime I could bring a deal back that didn't have net forever on the payment, yeah. the company yeah. was always like, oh, thank God bless you. Because, you know, I yeah. mean, and that's also a great way to leverage some discounts because, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, these things are not as well, you know, and it's been a long time since I've been in this part of the, in that part of the world. But, there are companies in retail like GE Finance and Textron. I don't even know if some of those things are around, but man, they would just hold your feet to the fire on some of the some of the funding, you know, the floor planning. And yeah. that's why you see retailers and uh, with why are they selling this at 90 percent off? Because they've had it way too long and it's now negatively affecting their credit line. So <laughs> dumping it is the only way that they can get things going. And it sounds like we're on the opposite end of that with construction. Now, uh, is is the materials cost and what's going on with housing right now is are we forming another bubble, perhaps? Um, no, I mean, I don't think material price is a function of inflated material costs. I think it's a supply chain breakdown based on the pandemic, you know, from what I can see. Again, I'm not the expert on that, but it's not like, you know, you know, and like oil and gas, like all of a sudden oil becomes super inflated. It's a single kind of product, commodity product that has its own kind of economic effects and especially it was like a global effect. I think supply chain is, you know, I'm surprised it's not worse, quite frankly, uh, especially initially, right? When everything got really, really tight. Um, so no, I think that's just a temporary, not necessarily a bubble. Now, 
Now, you know, housing is almost a direct influence of the, of the low rates, right? So there's like refinancing and new building because you can essentially get mortgages like 2% now. So that, that certainly would be the case, but it's nothing like what was happening, you know, in your like 03 timeline where folks were, were giving cheap money to anyone, right? The underwriting standards haven't fundamentally shifted from, you know, the first housing crisis. They're, they're essentially around the same. Um, and, um, you know, it's really just the cost of, of, um, uh, of a mortgage, really, that, that's driving the, the appetite there. Yeah, anyone that was around from the 2007 to 2009 and 10 range, uh, that's a reasonable question. And that was, I made my first, I haven't made any real estate investments for years, but I made a few back then because it was so easy to leverage those loans. I remember going yeah, yeah. to a loan officer and he's like, do you have a job? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, eh, it doesn't really matter if you do or don't because you could basically just state, yeah, they give stated income loans. Now people, that means yeah. like, you just say what you make and the guy, yeah. they would sit there and tell you, they could just put down whatever number you want, you're good. And that's dangerous because there needs to be some kind of controls. And what happened was too many people would say, homes are commodities in many ways. They're not built for the speculative nature of buying and selling. You know, yeah. like mm -hmm. some people do with Bitcoin or whatever, you know, and that, that kind of stuff can get dangerous. And in that case, some general fiscal ir irresponsibility all the way up and down the line, almost topple our economy. And why? Because everyone lives in a freaking home. And yeah, yeah it was kind of messy. Um, so so I have a, a quick question before we run into the founders freestyle. And that's how we end our episodes. But does do you ever have to go and and repossess the materials is no, that like part of what like are you are you guaranteeing like hey we've got the materials and that's how you know you're getting paid no we don't repossess the material we have a process in which to the extent that our customer isn't able to pay we have a process in which um this this goes back to all the like technology uh, enabled uh pieces of what we're doing in the background um but we'll in the project underwriting piece but we'll reach out to the various players on the project we are a supplier of record in this case right so we're you know from a from a um, contractual standpoint we are buying the materials and reselling to our customer um, and so in this case we're part of that construction uh, ecosystem a real player there and there's there's rights that we have statutory rights that we have to, to be paid um, so we're in those cases, we're notifying the, the right parties that, hey, you know, we were the supplier of that OSB, we'll call it, or plywood, another term for OSB. Um, and, um, and we haven't been paid. And normally that aligns us with our customer, the sub, because in those cases, most of the time they haven't been paid yet either. So it helps us kind of enable that final payment or it's a lot of times it's the final payment um, for, from the GC. But, but even then, it's kind of stemmed up to the prop property owner um and it's normally not like an adversarial thing on why they're not being paid a lot of times it's just like a process but we can help kind of expedite that on behalf of our customer by knowing that all, the way all of that works and the right levers to pull again I, I go back to like a relationship company we're not a relationship company in, in the sense of our relationship with the customer but we understand so well what that relationship of the sub to the gc is so we know what to say and what not to say, right? So we want to be the sure. right wingman. 
the the right wingman in that scenario and not the you know the dipshit that's talking about the stupid things you did in college right you're like you know you're you're there to enable your customer make them look good and um so it's a compliment and, and kind of a dirty pro not dirty but it's like a can be a sausage making process and getting collect you know collecting on past due stuff uh but i think we've we've done a, a pretty good job there and our customers have really helped us a lot and like making that process not more efficient necessarily more efficient but like more effective right and keeping all those those relationships intact now before we move on to the founders freestyle and here's a tip here chris where i'm going to ask you what the best advice you can give to a construction entrepreneur is a couple things if you want to get matched with commercial with commercial multifamily loan options in minutes go to multifamilydebt.com it's an industry leading solution that simplifies the commercial real estate mortgage process you can visit multifamily debt to learn more uh, love the efficiency that they create around that. And, you know, I mentioned that I end my episodes of Start a Puzzle with the Founders Freestyle. Why my episodes? Because I'm not the only host of Start a Puzzle. Make sure you tune in on Tuesdays. Join Andrew Morgans, the founder of Marknology, as he talks all about e-commerce and selling stuff on Amazon. On Thursdays, tune in with Lauren Conaway, the founder and CEO of Innovate Her. She talks about all kinds of great stuff. I can't get maybe 10 seconds into one, Lauren, one of Lauren's episodes without smiling. Just general good vibes all the way around. If you hadn't had enough startup hustle at that point, make sure to head on over to the YouTube. That's right, we started our own TV show. If there's one bit of advice I can give all entrepreneurs, it's don't start your own TV show. It's a lot of work, but you can follow our show about startups where the show is a startup. We're getting it figured out bit by bit, day by day, learning how to do things a little bit better. Once again, a big shout out to LendingStandard.com for also sponsoring Startup Hustle TV. So here we are at the Founders Freestyle. And as promised, I'm going to end warning and a given fair warning, I'm going to ask you what the best advice you can give to future or current construction entrepreneurs is. So let's just dive right in, Chris. Yeah, no. So I'm going to break this into two. I, I think in particular in construction. It's, it's your freestyle. You do whatever yeah. you want. You can chop it into a million pieces if you want. I think take a hard look when you're starting your business at, at bringing in a business partner. Um, and, and I think in construction in particular, sometimes you need some Batman Robin and even trading those roles good cop, bad cop. And um, because there's a lot of, again, relationships, sometimes you've got to be the good one. Sometimes you've got to be the bad, bad guy, but it also helps balance out. And as, as folks, entrepreneurs know, it can be lonely um, being kind of the only, the, the only senior leader of your company and, and really uh, solving complex problems, even if they're simple, right? It can, it can, they can get complicated very quickly. So I take a hard look at, at, um, getting a business partner and, and not necessarily like your best bud that, you know, your brother or whoever, but like someone that compliments you well, uh, and, and is just as passionate about, you know, growing a business and, and, um, you know, building a company. Uh, the second piece is really understanding your growth strategy. And, and I'll call that your sales and marketing strategy. And a lot of times in construction folks, I hinted at this earlier, they're really focused on their relationship. Uh, in the, from the standpoint of like, I'm going to go to this general contractor and I'm going to wine and dine and I'm going to show up with my pamphlets. And I'm going to do my fancy logo. And it's like, you know, they haven't been in business for a couple of years. They're trying to wow through these things and like get that first project. Really? What, what I recommend is really a bid strategy that says you're going to, 
you're going to have like kind of a service strategy through your bid. So you're going to bid on a regular basis to those general contractors and really focus on which ones you want to tackle and be consistent with your delivery. And then six months in, you say, you take a hard conversation. You say, hey, I haven't gotten any work from you, but I've been giving you detailed bids that allow you to further negotiate with the call the dry, my competitor drywall companies, right? And so I'm going to continue doing this, but you got to throw me a bone, right? You got to give me a project for me to earn more of your business, right? And then you focus, again, instead of so much time and effort on the, you know, a fancy logo or the, you know, the entertainment, you know, part of relationship building, put that in being, like, go to just extreme uh, uh, effort to be on time, to have your material ready, to have trained staff ready to go. And, you know, you leave that project and you say, superintendent, are you happy? Do we do a good job? Do we, do we help enable you to reach your goals? Yes, move on. That's going to get you more work than anything else. Oh, very well said. And once again, with me today is Chris Doyle, the CEO and founder of Build. That's B-I-L-L-D.com. There's a link in the show notes. You know, there's a couple of things. So I, this is, I've recorded over 500 episodes of Startup Hustle. And one thing you said right off the bat, you basically said, find a co-founder. And it doesn't matter. It's, it's amazing the similarities in all industries when it comes to good advice for entrepreneurs. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it's construction or AI. I get the same advice from everyone. And that's the Batman and Robin effect is important. And find someone that is not good at all the shit you're good at. And they're instead good at something else. That's that whole dynamic that can be really helpful. I have that with my own business partner at Full Scale. He's technical. I am technically non-technical. Although I may challenge that on some days because I can, I can still know my shit. I just don't practice it, you know, and that's okay. So when it comes to, uh, you know, the relationships that you build, and that's the next thing I want to get into is work your relationships and don't be afraid to ask for something. I literally just finished recording some footage for, uh, for startup hustle TV that were sales tips. And it's amazing how bad, people aren't selling. And there's two reasons. One, they don't focus on the benefits that their, that their solution or business offers. And two, they don't ask for, they don't ask people to buy stuff. It's so easy to ask people to buy stuff. It's the people are worried that they are going to offend the buyer. And oftentimes that buyer walked off the street through the front door or contacted the company and salespeople are afraid to ask. And you can ask in so many quiet, polite, underscored ways. Hey, Chris, did you want to go ahead and place that order? That's me asking you to buy something. If you ask for what you want, just in general and in life, you're going to get more of it. It's just that simple. If you sit around and wait for people to be like, hey, dude, I want to give you my money, my business and all of it, you're going to get less of it. So, you know, whether it's construction entrepreneurship or software as a service, or whether it's a new product that you just made, you got to ask for what you want. You got to ask for the sale. Chris, thanks for joining me, man. I'm going to catch up with you down the road because I, I think that your company is going to be doing quite a bit of growing, especially amidst all of the amazing construction entrepreneurship that's going on out there, man. I'll see you next time. All right. Thanks so much, Matt. Great chatting. 
Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>